1: Chick chat, chick chat, the baby chick podcast. We're all about mothers and supporting them, right? We're all about babies and futures, oh so bright. Chick chat, chick chat, chick chat, the baby chick podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chick. The Baby Chick podcast. I'm your host, Nina Spears, The Baby Chick, and today we have the privilege of chatting with Leanne Sherrod, a certified and licensed speech language pathologist, as well as the president of Expressible, an online speech therapy company that envisions a modern, affordable, and convenient way for anyone who needs speech therapy to access these vital services. Leanne spent her career working in a variety of speech therapy settings before starting Expressible, including pediatric outpatient clinics, schools, early intervention, and home health. She studied speech and hearing sciences at George Washington University in Washington, DC, and gained her master's in speech language pathology from Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. Today, she calls Austin, Texas home. With the holidays upon us, we are chatting with Leanne about how to prevent meltdowns and tantrums from our children during the holiday season. The holidays are stressful enough without meltdowns. Luckily, there are some useful tools to help us as parents stay ahead of toddler tantrums using communication strategies. We're excited to explore them together with you. Let's welcome Leanne to learn more. Hi, Leanne. We're so happy to have you on our podcast, Chick Chat. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so happy to be here. Thank
0: you for having me.
1: Of course. Well, Leanne, we would love to learn a little bit more about you. Can you first explain to us, like, what inspired you to become a speech therapist?
0: Yeah, you know, I'm a speech therapist who didn't find the field by personal connection. And that is a little bit unusual. A lot of people who become speech therapists, I think, either needed it themselves when they were younger or knew someone in their family who needed it. But I, I just sort of grew up loving speech and language. I always was doing little voices and accents. I was a bit of a theater kid. And so when I originally took my first class in undergrad, I had this notion of being an accent and dialect coach for actors, which is a very very niche career. <laughs> that is. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a very cool field, but when I took that first class, I that was really my introduction to the world of speech language pathology and immediately learning so much about th- those one-on-one connections that SLPs have with their their clients and families and building what is ultimately in in my perspective, communication is a fundamental human right and, and such a, it's what really separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom, how robust our communication is. I really took off from there and kind of didn't look back and went straight from undergrad to graduate school and, um, have been working in pediatric spaces since then.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Well, explain to me why is helping children and families in particular learn to communicate so important to you?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's, it's such a crucial part of our daily life. I mean, every moment has communication in it nearly if if we're spending it with another person, whether it's verbal, nonverbal, it's, it's not only what helps us further build and expand our cognition. So language and cognition are so intrinsically tied. They really help compound one another. And so just as as we are lifelong learners as humans, it's so important to set foundational skills that help us in our academics, our personal life, our professional life. But it also just helps us get meaningful daily tasks done that keep our, our lives moving forward. And communication is how we modify the behavior of those around us. So, you know, when we're cold, you ask the person next to you for a blanket and when you're at the restaurant, you ask the waiter for a Coke instead of a Sprite so that you're able to receive what you're looking for and what helps you be fulfilled. So setting kids up for success in in all of that is, is just crucial and it really helps Society keep moving forward.
1: (laughs) Yes. Amen. I totally agree. And as you were saying, like we all there's so many different ways to communicate. You were saying body language and verbal and all that. But you know, I also think that, you know, we all communicate so differently. I'd love to know your tips, Leanne. What tips do you offer to parents to make sure that they are communicating in a way that resonates with their children? Because I think sometimes at least as a parent myself, sometimes when I say things a certain way, I feel like my my four-year-old in particular doesn't hear it. But if I say it a different way, like maybe if I get to his eye level or a certain tone or explain things a different way, he gets it. But do you have any tips to offer us parents? Yeah, you kind of touched on some of the things that I would suggest. My,
0: my very first piece of advice that I would start with is, That when we're talking about talking, we also need to talk about listening. And sometimes it can be a challenge for for parents to really kind of pump the brakes in a communication interaction with their child and spend more time listening and really pause and give wait time. You're absolutely right. One thing I suggest is getting on their level quite literally. So squatting down so that they can see you face to face, have that eye contact that reinforces that you're listening, that they have your attention, so they don't feel a need to kind of be scrambling for it or grappling for it and maybe um, proceed in a less than ideal communication manner, like kind of getting into a a tantrum or, or shouting. I think sometimes parents who are really wanting to be proactive about positive communication or kind of developing their child's communication, it can be easy to get stuck in a cycle of being the quote unquote, director of conversation. So asking a ton of questions, kind of asking one right after another, trying to have them repeat something exactly the way we'd like them to. And so I'd I'd really encourage families to, to spend a lot of time listening. I think what you said there in rephrasing what we're saying, that we should, I think at the core, just continue kind of paying attention to that. And if you notice that something didn't stick or seem to be absorbed trying it a different way and then gauging that response. So kind of being your own little statistician over time and and noticing and keeping maybe data in your head or maybe quite literally on paper <laughs> for for what seems to be successful with your little one and then build those habits over time and languages and implicitly learned skills. So kids are very likely to pick up the methods of communication that we're modeling for them. So it's really important for us to try to model the speech language and behavior that we would like to see reflected in our kiddos.
1: Oh, that is so true. I'm so glad that you say that. And Leanne, I have to say, this past weekend was my son's fourth birthday party. And I don't know what it is, about birthday parties and holidays, but they tend to evoke such big emotions from our little ones And I guess that's why that whole saying is like, um, it's my party, I can cry if I want to song came about. But why is this? Like, why is it that these big monumental times that are supposed to be so happy and special can really cause a lot of emotion, like negative emotion, or I guess I shouldn't say negative, but, you know, just passionate emotion from our children. (laughs) Why is that? Yeah. And happy birthday to your little one. There
0: is so much excitement around those times. There's so much stimulation. There's new sights and sounds and foods and people that might only come around once in a while. And so we're really dealing with the potential of of needing to bargain more to kind of stay in that lane of moderation that we still are trying to achieve as caregivers. Yes, there is a whole cake in front of us. No, we can't eat that whole cake. Um, And I think too, when, and in particular when it's someone's, it's their birthday, or maybe it's, it's that point in the Christmas party. I know my family, when, when the cousins were younger, it always seemed like we would spend kind of, 20 minutes on each kid opening their presence that they had gotten. And that is a different threshold of even individualized attention than they might be used to. And so they might enter that space again, where they're not sure of the boundaries and the limits. It's sort of a, a whole new scenario that's completely outside of their daily routine. It, they start experimenting quite literally to test those boundaries and figure that out because it's such a different scenario.
1: Right. Yeah. I I just was like, man, why are we having a, a tantrum about, you know, other people hitting the pinata or you needing a jacket and it's literally 90 degrees outside? Like I don't understand. So, and I feel again, during the holidays too. And I even remember like having this conversation with my mother. She said that always I, and I'm a twin and I actually have a twin brother who has autism. And she always said that for some reason around the holidays, you and your brother would always just be extra sensitive. It was just sensitive. I don't know. And maybe it's because my dad worked a lot and he wasn't around too much for the holidays or whatever it was. But she was like, I just noticed that, you know, emotions were heightened. So that's why I had to also ask that I'm now seeing it in my my own child. (laughs) I had to ask that question and ask and as we approach the holiday season, because we're basically here, what specific habits can we as parents implement now to really prevent, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully prevent tantrums or meltdowns over the holiday season?
0: Yeah. And it's, you, you kind of touched upon something there too. The opposite of an abundance of attention at the holidays or birthday is sort of the reduction of attention. So new people are around families visiting. We might not be giving the same kind of individualized attention in those moments to our kiddos, and and that might be what brings up some of those emotional responses. That attachment, they kind of still want that from parents and caregivers. So, that's that's the other side of it. But yeah, so setting up for success ahead of the holidays, I recommend this not just for the holidays, but for all the time. Is trying not to make. Empty promises, right? And that because that can kind of fracture some of the trust that our our kiddos have in us. They are smart. No matter how little, teeny tiny they may be, they're clever. So writing checks that we can't cash on on certain goodies or toys or activities or um, places that we're gonna go can kind of maybe come around to bite us in the butt. So moderating our own responses and kind of promises can help prevent that future meltdown. So if we say something like, if you do this for me now, we might get this toy for Christmas, just double check yourself. Will you? Are, did you? Was that in your plan to get that toy for Christmas? Or are, are you kind of suggesting something that you might come around to not do? that that's kind of a a very preemptive way to stay ahead of it. Instead, I'd recommend trying to provide short, short term answers that are easier for them to correlate to what's actually happening the moment. So if there is some type of reward fulfillment that you're able to achieve, we want to try to tie it as close to the moment as possible, especially for our younger ones, just because their, their development means that they, they can't connect something that's very far displaced in in kind of time and space quite yet. So, tying it back to the moment as close as possible is helpful. And I think overall, I I'm challenged by advice sometimes uh, about keeping consistent routines to avoid tantrums because that is it's definitely true. It's hundred percent true, and to the extent that it's possible, routines and consistency do help kids navigate their day knowing what to expect, but sometimes it's impossible. And in particular with the holidays, we're inherently going to be out of our normal routine. So if you're breaking a routine, again, whether it's any time or particularly the holidays coming up, try to prepare them ahead of that as much as you can. So start talking about it a few days before, or even if it's shorter notice than that, the day before even shorter than that if it's an hour before. Literally as as much as 10 minutes before if we can layer in any kind of lag time before a change in routine is going to happen, it will help your child get prepped for it to happen. And some children are more challenged by, you know, transitions and changes in routine than others. So if you Parents are by far the experts on their children. And as an SLP, that's a big part of the way I practice is um, we both bring expertise and knowledge to the table as a team. You know your kiddo better than anyone. If you know that, you know, transitioning from playing inside to leaving for the doctor's appointment is really hard or finishing up, you know, maybe tablet time to get ready for bed or dinner time is, is very challenging and tends to cause a meltdown layering in that lag time, even with timers and reminders for certain things like that uh, can really help support their ability to process through it successfully. And yes, there's there's no kind of more harried time than the holidays. I mean, even from the adult perspective, it's very harried. (laughs) So
1: imagine how it feels for a little one. You're so right. Oh, my gosh. That those are such great tips, and something that i I will be definitely <laughs> needing to remind myself because I think that's also just that you're right. The pressure on us parents to make it like, quote unquote, a magical time it's a lot of pressure on us. And I think I think our kids can sense that. So I love that you pointed that out because I didn't really think about it that way before,
0: yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. Okay. So Leanne, we all know that sometimes a meltdown is just inevitable. Like (laughs) there's only so much that we can do. What are your tips for communicating with a toddler in the middle of a major tantrum?
0: Yeah. So I think first and foremost, tantrums are a, a point of communication and you're, you're so right. They are a very typical part of development really between the ages of, you know, about one and a half up to, some kids might linger on that long with their very big tantrum phase, but um, important to remind ourselves that it is it is a part of typical development as kids learn and grow and are testing their boundaries to figure out really how to operate in these different spaces. I really recommend trying to understand the core of a consistent behavior or, or tantrum scenario. Behaviors are always they always have an antecedent, what comes before it, the behavior itself, and then the consequence of that behavior. So what comes after I I do that thing or act that way. So it really folds into how we react in the moment and how our patterns of how we respond kind of support improvement over time. So what is your little one trying to achieve when they have that tantrum? Do they just want a particular thing is that is it as simple as that they have a want or a need that that we might not be fulfilling or willing to fulfill for them in that moment do they want more of our attention do they want us to understand that they're having trouble handling their own emotional or sensory state again like during that holiday time all that stimulation can really start to overwhelm their little ears and eyes and even taste buds and sleep deprivation for some of those crazy long holiday parties, etc. And so if it's a particular item, we want to understand, we want them to understand over time that we as parents help set boundaries. So one way to help alleviate that feeling of control that they're craving is to provide them choices. So at the front end we're making really the ultimate selections of what you know snack is okay for them to have or activity is you know appropriate for them to be doing in that moment. So we kind of have the back end control but at their face value by providing them a choice and they get to make the election they get that little feeling of control the choice at the end was theirs, they picked it. And so that's kind of what they can go with. If it's attention that they want, again, over time, we want them to understand what's an appropriate way to gain someone's attention. So we do want to try as much as possible to disengage from an escalated behavior that is attention seeking as much as possible and within the realms of, of safety. So we're not going to walk away completely in a space where you can no longer like fully see what they're up to, what they're doing so that they're not going to do anything unsafe, but we can physically turn our body kind of show them our back, stop eye contact. If, if that tantrum is really meant at its core to just hold our attention, because even, even staying looking at them in that moment is, is, in their mind, a a form of engagement in the power struggle, you know, that's a very different response based on what they're trying to achieve. On the last one, if it's trouble handling their emotional or sensory regulation, again, it's going to be a a pretty different response because in those moments, we want to be there for them. We want to get on their level again, you know, provide them comfort. If it's with a, a gentle touch, a gentle voice, Help them work through the moment and then talk about what we heard from them so we can try something else the next time. Saying things, I'm so happy you're calming down. It sounds like you were very frustrated. You can use that word when you're feeling stuck. I'm frustrated. And helping them name those emotions will help them be able to tell you more about it the next time. So yes, those tantrums are unavoidable, kind of how we respond to them will hopefully help shape them over time into, into less, less big deals.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, especially when it's the holidays and you're in front of people, which is actually my next question for you. So with the holidays... They're particularly tough because oftentimes like you have mentioned, you know, family and friends are around and and they're usually you don't get to see them as much and that's why it's so special you finally get to see all these people that you care about and care about you. How do you recommend handling a meltdown when others are watching? We took
0: it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember, hot and icy, cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Oh. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did.
1: And in the end, what will I become?
0: Senwa Saga, Hellblade Two.
1: Play it now with Game Pass.
0: Yeah, it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. I think because we're we're dealing not only with the kiddo's behavior in that moment or you know what they're going through but also that external pressure of kind of how others are viewing us and we're social creatures by nature so it's hard to to not feel that pressure as well i think in those moments number one thing is is a lot easier said than done but do try to not let others get to you too much so we definitely want to remind ourselves that we're not alone Our kiddo is not the only kiddo who has ever had a meltdown (laughs) and who's, who's ever had a meltdown you know, at a Christmas party or at Thanksgiving or in the grocery store getting ready to cook all that food at home. What we can do is really focus on how we respond with some of those tips above and some other things to try are being an active listener in that moment. Again, if we're thinking about what some of the holiday times bring, it might be that A deprivation of the attention that they're used to. And we want to let them know that we can hear them. So again, getting on their level, repeating back what we're hearing from them. So it's an acknowledgement that we understood their initial request. It's not that we don't hear them. And then maybe we want to enter the phase where we're um, diverting to another task or providing a choice or Sometimes it it might come down to a compromise, right? So, how about you pick your shirt for the party and I'll pick your shoes. You fulfill half of it; I'll fill the other half. So, you know, leveraging those those pieces to work on how we respond, bringing it back to the core of wh- what's at the core of the tantrum again. If it's if it's one of those attention seeking behaviors, uh, attention seeking moments. It's more likely to dissipate sooner if we don't engage. And so that is a challenge in, in those moments when a lot of people are around, if you're able at all to remove, remove yourselves to a quiet space, a safe space, and then go about, you know, kind of that disengagement where we kind of redirect our eye contact, kind of stop conversation until they've calmed, because Over time, if we're not if we're not giving them exactly what they're looking for, if we're not giving in to providing that attention by repeatedly telling them, hey, knock it off, cut it out, stop that, don't act this way, because even that engagement is engagement. So the power struggle's still on. So we want to kind of try to cut that off as much as possible until they realize, oh, my my ploy isn't isn't maybe working. Maybe I'll maybe I'll peter out here, and then once they've settled in, then we want to kind of reinforce that positive choice by re-engaging.
1: That's really helpful. I I'm curious. Do you recommend us pull our child aside? Because if other people are watching, I don't want to embarrass my child. Even though they're technically embarrassing me in this moment, I don't want to. I don't want to embarrass them by you know. Reprimanding them or whatever in front of family members, do you think, like, if they're having a temper tantrum and like whatever, do you just, should you still just in that moment drop down on their eye level and try and talk to them and say, hey, look, we, this is not how we communicate. This is not how I hear you. I don't understand when you talk like this. This isn't how you get what you want. Or And then say, let's talk about it over here and kind of usher them to a different direction. Or I, I don't know. I guess I'm just, I'm literally preparing myself for the holidays with you right now. <laughs> let's just be real. like oh, yeah. So, yeah. so is that like a better approach of uh, how to do it? Or is it okay in the moment to kind of, you're saying, you know, also like don't pay mind to the people around you. Like, you know, you're a parent, address the situation at hand. So I'm just kind of curious about your feedback on that.
0: Yeah, I think you know that's digging into that question. I I think it does. Part of my answer would be ha- half. Most of that is kind of up to the parent and kind of what what your style is. You know, I think like in your mind, you you have that uh, that other side of your thought that's concerned for embarrassing your child or pretend potentially making them feel that shame. I I, I guess I'll use the word shame. I, I again, I don't think we should feel too much shame about a tantrum. Cause again, all, all kids do it, but I think that if it's possible in the moment to use those other tactics of getting down on their level and um, using modeling our own calm voices, which is another thing I'd recommend is, is trying to take that deep breath and moderate our own volume and voice and tone and language, even though it can feel tricky, we might start to feel like we're losing our temper at how they're responding. If we can take a few calming breaths, that is helpful because humans it's, it's human nature to mirror how someone is speaking with you. So it's a fun little trick if you want to try it. If you go up and whisper to someone, they're very likely to whisper back just automatically, even though they don't know why you're whispering. <laughs> so if we moderate ourselves with the calm voice, it, it might be able to dissipate in, in the moment without needing to to pull aside if we feel okay about disengaging from them if if they're kind of right next to us having their little moment if we are, are comfortable and again di- different different strokes for different folks if if we're comfortable kind of letting them peter out reengaging maybe when you even see that first wink of calming down. So if they're, if they're kind of yelling and then they kind of stop yelling for a moment, if we can sneak that in as a a positive reinforcement, we re-engage because we like that behavior more than the behavior before it. We can kind of latch on. It doesn't have to be, we, we calm down all the way because that might be really hard to achieve in in a certain time span in front of all those people in a crowded space if we latch on to any sign that they're kind of turning a corner and then we can kind of jump in and help them turn it all the way that might prevent you from needing to maybe separate them to another space i'd, I'd recommend if if we are able to navigate and get to a calm state that we we do spend a moment kind of reflecting on the moment that just happened and again we want to do that as close to when they finished as possible because of that that difficulty they might have with displacing time and space. So if you brought it up later, hey, remember when you were crying about the toy in front, of, in front of grandma and grandpa? If it was a couple hours ago, it's not going to resonate with them as much as if we resonate in that moment. So they calm down and then maybe we get back down on their level to say, thank you for stopping your screaming. I'm happy to talk to you now. I understand that you'd like another cookie for dessert, but we already had one. So maybe we can take some home and have one tomorrow. Reinforcing that you heard them, keeping our voice calm, reinforcing that we can, we can compromise in the situation. Sometimes we might need to do certain things like that to escape by the skin of our teeth and again, that's okay. The holidays throw lots of things off. You're able to come back to it tomorrow. You're able to reset. Don't be too hard on yourself. If you, if you have to do a little bit more compromising than usual.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Those are, that's really helpful. I love that. Okay. And you mentioned positive reinforcement and that, makes me now want to ask you, should we reward our children for good communication habits? And if so, why? Or if not, why not? Yes. Yes, very much so. Yes. Um, (laughs) I
0: (laughs) I think the key here is though, how we think about what rewards are versus positive reinforcement. So positive reinforcement can be provided to our children to help establish good habits, but it doesn't necessarily have to entail getting a goodie or getting another toy, or extra tablet time, or even a sticker or a stamp. Happy and positive engagement with our children is inherently rewarding because that comfort, shared joy, and trust is a really big part of what they crave from us as their caregivers. So if your child demonstrates positive communication behavior, such as maybe using a word or a phrase to ask for something instead of grabbing it out of someone's hand. We can use a happy tone, friendly face, gentle pat, again, that physical kind of comfort to to say, I love how you asked me, here's your juice. And on, on the other side of that, again, it, another example that doesn't involve kind of an external object might just be reinforcing how they ask or respond. So thank you for using such a nice voice to say, no, thank you. Just acknowledging that they did something that made you happy. It's a feedback loop of happiness for them. So it, 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 there is inherent positive reinforcement just in happy engagement with our little ones.
1: Okay. I I really love that tip because I agree. I've noticed that even just by saying like, oh, you asked that so nicely. Thank you so much. And then they want to continue doing that because they got that praise or that, you know, recognition for doing something good. But I was like, well, wait, Should, <laughs> am I supposed to be rewarding this, you know, good behavior in other ways so that that's good just, just by pointing it out and saying good job and, and doing that is, is enough.
0: Yeah. If you've ever seen a preschool or kindergarten teacher in in action where they have a whole classroom full of kids (laughs) you're dealing with, something I love that they do is instead of calling out the kids who are not doing something um, the way they should be, like maybe standing up, jumping around, tapping their friends, they'll instead point out the positive behavior in the other kids around them. I love the way how my friend is sitting good job sitting crisscross applesauce, Sarah. And then you'll notice all the other kids. Ooh, ooh, I want that. I want, I want teacher to, to praise me. So then they'll kind of fall, fall in, sit the way they are supposed to, because they want their, their teacher who they, who they love to give them that little bit of positive reinforcement as well.
1: Ah, oh, genius point. I, I am so glad you mentioned that because that's so true. And I, yeah, I didn't even think about that. So that's so great. <laughs> okay. So Leanne, as especially toddlers, you know, they struggle with communication. You know, they're really trying to work on their communication skills and learning the right words to really express themselves properly. What specific tips do you have for us parents whose child may not communicate in a traditional way?
0: Yeah. So first and foremost, like a a helpful, easy, quick tip for early communicators is for parents to think about, again, modeling the language that we'd like for them to use. But when we're talking about that early communication, we want to try to keep it just one step above what they're currently doing. Because if we put it too far above, they might not be able to successfully imitate what we've kind of put in front of them. So if they're not yet using gestures to indicate what we want, what they want, we want to model that pointing behavior. If they are using pointing, but not a verbal word, we want to start by modeling just one word at a time. If they're using one word, we can model a two word phrase. So kind of keeping what we're modeling in a very attainable place for where they are in their development. So kind of meeting them where they are. If you suspect that your child might be delayed in their communication development, I really suggest going with your gut. I, I say that a lot for parents. Um, again, they are the experts on their kiddo. So if, if you have a, a suspicion, more often than not, your your gut is, is, a, is a great place to start. So bringing it up with your pediatrician or getting in touch with a speech language pathologist for a consultation or a screening is hugely beneficial because early intervention is research proven heaps and piles of research to lead to stronger outcomes for children in every area of communication development so i i don't tend to recommend the wait and see method which some some pediatricians sometimes say i i hear that from families you know they'll they'll contact us and say, well, the doctor told me not to worry, but I'm still thinking about it and I'll be on the other side of the consultation call thinking, oh, I'm so glad that they called because I don't agree with what that doctor said. Pediatricians are fantastic. They might not have the in-depth knowledge on communication milestones and expertise that a speech language pathologist would know. In addition, you know, some helpful boosters for some of those early communicators using sign language and visual cues around the house. So even things like picture support systems, visual schedules where you just, I've done some super low tech ones uh, where it's not even a photo of a real object or a cartoon. It's just something I drew for my speech therapy session. I kind of indicate what we're going to work through so that they have that knowledge on what comes next. It's definitely a myth that signing or using alternative communication will stymie verbal language development. I'd encourage parents to see communication as a really holistic process and really widen the view of what successful communication is about. Verbal speech is not the only way. Working with a speech-language pathologist, they will help assess and determine the best goals to work on to improve communication and should always be including the family's routines and values when formulating that plan so if you do contact a speech language pathologist and it turns out maybe your kiddo does need a little bit of support again one in one in 12 children will have a need to see a speech language pathologist it's 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 very prevalent in the population so tying that back again to you're not alone but I can't say enough, again, how much I'd encourage parents and caregivers to be an extremely active part of that process. Parent involvement in the intervention process is also research proven to improve outcomes. And so we really shouldn't take an approach where we think, oh, you yeah, know, I'll drop off the kiddo and, and the therapist will fix them and I'll come pick them back up again, speech and language is implicitly learned from those around us. So children want to learn from their families more than anyone else. And it's so, so empowering when, as an SLP, if I'm able to help a family be the ones who are growing their child's language and they get to have those light bulb moments together, it is by far the best part of my job. And so SLPs should really be designing plans that keep parents involved and help them stay educated and informed of what's being worked on and and how they can best support because it's not only going to improve our outcomes, but it's going to be so empowering and lovely just in relationship
1: building between the parents and kids. Oh, That's awesome. And you're talking about, you know, early intervention, all of this really helpful tips. What resources, I'm curious besides that, uh, do you recommend that parents maybe look into to learn more about improving their communication strategies with their children? So I know we're talking about children, but what can parents do for themselves?
0: Yeah, I would say it's, well, I'm going to say do researching is great the internet is a crazy place. So there are some, some spaces you could spiral down a rabbit hole. And I know sometimes we show up to our doctor's appointments, having looked on WebMD and we might kind of get caught thinking more dramatically than ends up being true. So, (laughs) um, you know, try to find some reputable places. We keep a blog and social media that we're constantly updating, um, at expressible with, with helpful hints and, info on typical milestones, things to look out for. Some of my personal favorite courses that I've taken as a a provider are uh, the Hannon program, which is called It Takes Two to Talk. And Laura Mize is a speech language pathologist. She has a program called Teach Me to Talk. Those are both very rooted in kind of how families build these skills together. It's it's a a two-sided street. And it really kind of works together for kiddos. I think the other thing I wanted to touch on too, just in considering tantrums and and holiday time and behavior is as as a speech language pathologist, we, we do often work with children who might have more than one thing going on that's impacting their development and their communication development. I wanted to touch upon looking for some differences between what might be a tantrum or behavior and what might be a sensory regulation difficulty. So our little ones who literally we might have some some wiring in our brains, it's different from the next person. So the way they take in their environment and the senses around them might be different. Some Some things to look out for I thought would be helpful to share To really oversimplify parsing apart if something is a behavior or a sensory challenge, if it can be bargained, it might be a behavior. If it can't be, it might be a sensory or emotional regulation challenge. So if it feels a bit inexplicable to you, something like screaming and running away if their face gets wet or having a big tantrum when you want them to get Dressed and maybe certain clothing items seem to really spiral them. If it's, it might be a little bit itchier to them than we might realize that particular sweater. Having an unusually high or low pain threshold, if we have kiddos who are sensory seekers who are kind of crashing into things, into people, jumping on couches and crashing themselves into couches to an excessive or maybe even something like putting inedible things into their mouth that can also be a sensory seeking behavior. Some of those things are maybe outside of the typical development sphere, but it's also kind of not it's not something that's in their control. So if you're noticing something like that, I'd recommend again bringing it up, going with your gut, bringing it up with your pediatrician or potentially getting in touch with an occupational therapist who helps work on some of that sensory regulation and creating what they'd call a sensory diet for kiddos who might be taking in the world different than the person next to them. I just wanted to mention that because I think it's super important when we're parsing apart a behavior versus something that is a little more outside of their control.
1: No, I'm so glad that you did because I know that there are plenty of parents who are struggling, thinking that oh, if I parent a different way, maybe I can get through to my child, but it's maybe further than that. So I really am glad that you mentioned that, Leanne, so that they know, okay, my child isn't the only one who has maybe these experiences, and here's what I can do to be proactive and help my child through all of this. So no, I'm so glad you did, of course. So Leanne, now I just want to know, like, do you have any final thoughts or advice around this topic about... About, you know the holidays approaching and tantrums just any final words for us big one
0: is to try to
1: breathe as much as possible reiterating
0: a lot of what we said that 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 tantrums are to be expected they are part of natural development kids are learning to test their boundaries to figure out how to navigate in any given space and so how they operate with with mom and dad oh but maybe they're not sure how they operate with aunt and uncle. So they're going to do a little bit of testing. It's, it's a new scenario. We, we should expect we are not, we don't need to kind of be ashamed if we even are adjusting what we're doing in these holiday times. If we, like we said, are maybe compromising on things a little bit more than usual because we, we love our kids. We want them to experience that magical time together. I think I'd, I'd say Try not to break all the way. <laughs> um, try to find that space where you you still get a little bit of an outcome and they might get a little bit of an outcome with that, that compromise to, to not kind of derail the whole rest of the year. <laughs> and kind of think about how their threshold for tantrums might change depending on what they ate that day. Did they get enough sleep? Are they feeling run down and sick? Because that can also set us up on some more hair triggers for those behaviors. But at the end of the day, take a deep breath. You've got this. Everyone is, is doing their absolute best. I think it's just important to remind ourselves of that.
1: Oh, that's so true. And so awesome. Thank you for saying all of that. And Leanne, where can our listeners find you? Yeah. So everyone can find us at expressible.io
0: and, and we are a speech therapy provider. Also info at expressible.io. If if an email comes in there with a question, it, it definitely can be pinged over my way and I'm happy to, to try to help out if I can. And as, as a provider, we do have a, a consultation process. So if you are having any questions about if maybe something else is going on with communication development,
1: we would be thrilled to help parse through that with you. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh my gosh, this was so helpful. Thank you so much for sharing your, your words of wisdom with us, Leanne. These are just wonderful tools and ideas that we can all implement this holiday season. And I know I will be using these tips with my little ones too.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great chat.
1: Of course. Oh my goodness. And for our listeners out there to learn more and follow Leanne and Expressible like she said visit them online at Expressible.io and as well as Instagram at Expressible HQ. Our team will be posting today's episode on Baby Chicks Facebook page so if you have any questions or comments about our discussion please share them with us in the comments. And as always if you haven't already please subscribe to Chip Chat the Baby Chick Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and I'd love it if you'd leave us an honest review. Cheers to a happy your holidays for the whole family.